are you from? That seemingly benign question that comes out of curiosity, but is actually a lot more loaded than you might think. I'm not going to be looking into all the nuances of asking that question, particularly towards people of colour in this episode, but if you are curious about why it could be an issue and how you can reframe the wording, then you'll easily find some pretty good essays and articles on the internet. For my guest today, that question of where are you from can be particularly loaded and lead into a never-ending barrage of questions. Nadia is half German, half Chinese, and currently lives in Hong Kong. She was born in Egypt, lived in Cairo, Istanbul, and Warsaw before moving to Germany for school. So, as you can imagine, she's dealt with questions about her identity her entire life, but she's learned to fully embrace everything that her multicultural background has given her. Welcome to the podcast, Nadia. Thank you so much for joining me all the way from Hong Kong. How is Hong Kong today? Hi, Tao. Thanks for having me here. Um, Hong Kong, to be honest, it's cold. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't yeah, think so Hong Kong we... could get cold. Yeah, well, it is also taking me by surprise because usually our winter lasts for exactly two weeks where we have to wear a jumper and a jacket. But now it's really cold. Oh, wow. Cause, yeah, because I think I've only been to Hong Kong when it's been really hot and sweaty. So it's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine for anyone who hasn't experienced Hong Kong in winter because usually it's so hot here. <laughs> what do you normally do in winter in Hong Kong? Um, I mean, so, because it's so damn hot in summer, so people love to go on hikes. Basically, you do anything that's related to outdoors. That sounds amazing. I love going hiking. Would love to go. <laughs> so over the weekend, you said you had a big hot pot party. What was that like? <laughs> <laughs> so for us, hot pot is like the most usual thing, normal thing to do in winter. And I usually do it in my grandma's house. But last Christmas, my husband and his twin brother, their dads gifted them each um, this, this massive electric pot. I don't even know how to describe that. You can do it. It comes with different plates. One is a pot. One is a grill, so like a barbecue plate. So you can do like Japanese barbecue. Oh my gosh. Um, Sounds it amazing. Comes with, yeah, it even <laughs> comes with a, with a waffle maker thing. And both his brother and his dad, I need to say that they're both English, have already made, already done a hot pot. And I was like, I'm the Chinese one. <laughs> You can't beat me to my hot pot game. So that's why I immediately arranged a hot pot uh, lunch with my friends. <laughs> nice. Um, I think hot pot is one of those. It's such a comforting thing to have, but also so social. And it's it's just such a great typical communal activity to do in China, right? Um, yeah, it's super fun. It's also because... You have to engage with each other. So like you have a your little, I don't know how to call it, the, the mini version of a colander. Yeah, I know. Or, or a ladle or a ladle. Yeah, I what? really don't know how you call it. Basket? Is that a... I think so. What's <laughs> What do you call it in Chinese? I don't even know. I think I, w I would call it lo shao, but I think oh. lo shao is a ladle. Yeah. So like a, a ladle with like holes in it. <laughs> yeah, it's a, little, a basket version of a ladle. Oh, I love it. Is hot pot something that you also ate while growing up? We actually did do hot pot dinners at home. My mom would usually arrange. So my mom always arranged lots of dinner parties with uh, all our friends coming over. So usually my friends their and their parents, they, we, we would all get along really well together. So my mom with my friend's parents, so to say. And she would regularly do these hot pot nights at home. 
And that was actually really fun. It was quite an experience for my German friends just because there was no hot pot restaurant at the time in where we lived. I love it. It's exposing them to a culture that they might not normally come into contact with, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tell me more about your childhood in Germany. So like where in Germany did you grow up and what was your town like and what were your friends like in your school? So it was a little bit difficult for me because first of all, I'm an only child. And second, I was actually born in Egypt and then we moved to Turkey, then we moved to Poland and only primary school age we went we actually moved to Germany so when we got there I had no friends even in Germany we moved a few times first we stayed with my German grandmother until my parents sorted out the flat in Munich so I was in in this random village in the middle of nowhere in that kindergarten obviously sticking out like a sore thumb Aww. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the only friend I had was literally the girl that lived next door to my grandma otherwise the other kids wouldn't play with me oh because you didn't look German or yeah because I was just so different so th that was a little bit yeah not the greatest experience and then we finally moved to Munich that was actually okay it was a, a little bit more international so uh, also because Germany has a lot of Turkish people a lot of Italians so it was normal to be surrounded by uh, foreign, I would say, foreign children, even though they might be third generation living okay. in Germany. Okay. Were there many other Asian children? So sadly, none were in my school, my school and uh, where I lived. However, my mother, being Chinese, put me in Chinese school every Saturday. That was a fun experience. It was also the first time where I felt normal, like I belonged. I didn't have to explain myself because everyone had a Chinese parent and a German parent and it was normal the way we looked. What was going to school and going through adolescence like for you as one of a few half children? So I spent most of my school days in... Erding in that, in that suburb. Technically, my friends were all fine, but what was different is just that because for my mother, she was also the first time living in Germany. She didn't understand how the school system worked there. So sometimes there would be like small embarrassing moments, which obviously as an adult, you really don't care. But as a kid, you do get embarrassed. In school, you have different types of exercise books. So, for example, for maths, it's checked, and then for writing, it's it's lined. And then sometimes my mom would mix them up because the, the names or the, were, the types weren't quite clear. My neighboring kids would laugh at me, like, oh, why do you have a lined, lined exercise book for maths? Like, come on, it's, it's no big deal. But I was like, that's where I felt ashamed. Like, oh, of course my Chinese mother wouldn't know. And there was little, little, lots of little things like that, which it's not my mother's fault. It's just It just happened that way and that's where I felt different. There were a few incidences of racism but it was just kids being kids. I think they would have been mean to me even if I was fully German. There were some stupid sayings about Chinese people and they it's a little bit like a sing-along kind of thing. I don't know how to call that. When there's like a two-liner poem and kids sing to that. Yeah and like that kind of annoying sing-song voice. Yes. So stuff like that did happen but I obviously blamed it on being Chinese but as an adult, looking back, I just think it was kids being kids. When I was in primary school, my mom put me in, we call it afternoon care. That's especially for working moms. So after school, the same school facility, they offer to take care of kids till, I don't know, 3 or 4 p.m. And my mom packed me a lunchbox and it was quite often Chinese. And I do remember 
kids ask and be like, ew, what is that? That is so <laughs> mushy. Because, you know, in Chinese food, everything is mouth bite size and mouth size. So you don't have a chunk of meat. Yeah. What kind of stuff, for example, would that they be saying ill to? Oh, one of my favorite dishes is uh, Beijing-style eggplant. So it's chopped into small pieces, and as soon as you fry eggplant, it just falls apart and yeah. becomes quite soggy. Delicious. Um, so that was, yeah, it's so good. <laughs> but they were like, ew, what is that? Did you get a lot of questions about your background? Yeah, so that's where it was a little bit more annoying for me because my friend who was fully Vietnamese, she could say, yeah, my friends are Vietnamese, period. And then maybe the next question would be, were you born here in Vietnam? But like for me, it was my mom is Chinese, my dad is German. Oh, and where did they meet? Where were you born? Because And then I was born in Egypt. Like, why were you born in Egypt? Do you have an Egyptian passport? Like, so many questions. Speaking of which, why were you born in Egypt? <laughs> <laughs> so my dad works in hospitality and he was just basically working in Egypt at that time okay. when I was born. And my mother just couldn't be separated from him. So instead of giving birth to me in either Germany or Hong Kong, she just stayed with him in Egypt. Yeah. So there's literally no connection to this place other than my dad was working there. Did you feel like you were brought up quite Chinese with a lot of Chinese traditions and cultures and mannerisms and things like that. Oh yeah, I was so Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, to start with, the food was my mom was a really good is, is a really good chef actually, so she can even make really good Western food well. But obviously, majority we would eat Chinese food. You know our family history. So basically, my grandmother's previous generations—I don't even know what kind of relation they had. So they actually grew up in the palace. So that's why in our Chinese family, the flavors are extremely authentic. Or like the cooking is very precise. Yeah, so they were members of staff. We were not royals, but they were members of staff. So they were like the cousin, I don't know, some advice, a cousin to the emperor. So in some consultant role. I mean, it means nothing today because it's just there's so many descendants. <laughs> That just explains why, so my Chinese family is very anal about the way we cook things. And that's why, so my mom obviously cooked Chinese food and was always amazing. So even though I knew I was being different by constantly eating Chinese food, I didn't mind. Then typical cliche, I played the piano. <laughs> of course, as every good Chinese child should, apparently. <laughs> yeah, and as every good Chinese, it was minimum 30 minutes, but ideally one hour per day. And my mom was obviously going through homework with me. As a biracial kid growing up in Germany, did you ever feel confused or conflicted about your identity? Yeah, it was always a little bit of feeling of this feeling that I was different. I had German relatives, my uncle and my grandmother, but I had no cousins of my age. So while our Christmases or Easter celebrities, they were all really traditional, very German. Otherwise, yeah, I did still feel different. I looked pretty, I wouldn't say I looked German, but I looked quite Western. So you wouldn't immediately tell that I was Chi that Chinese in me. I would get all sorts of references. Oh, are you Latin American? Are you Turkish? Are you Lebanese? I would get anything. Thai, Philippines, but funny enough, I would never get Chinese. So it was a little bit confusing about feeling very Chinese, but no one knowing that you're actually Chinese. <laughs> was your German family very accepting of your Chinese background? Like, did they make an effort to understand a lot of the cultures and traditions that were also a part of your life? Luckily, it wasn't that many to convince. It was my German grandmother. 
and my uncle, my dad's brother. My uncle is gay. His long-term partner at that time, he was from Eastern Europe. Before that, he was seeing someone Brazilian. And because my uncle worked for Alitalia, he was constantly traveling. So luckily, nationality was not a problem in our family. And in fact, it was almost expected. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you went to high school in Germany. You also went to university in Germany and also Paris. Yes. So I studied. So after graduation, I went to uni in Munich and then I also did a semester abroad in Paris. I did apply for master's degrees in different universities, but then I got this really cool job offer for Hong Kong. I was like, that's it. I'm packing. I'm going. This is uh, what I'm going to be doing. Because you kind of already have a connection with Hong Kong, right? Because your grandparents live there. Yes. So my grandparents have always been living in Hong Kong. So my mom made sure not to only go to Beijing, where my other relatives are, so aunts and cousins and everyone, but also to come to Hong Kong to connect with my, obviously to connect with my grandparents, but also to connect with the city. In, in hindsight, I'm really thankful my mother really did this. It obviously costed a lot of money to do, but none of my other friends would regularly go every ho- most holidays to Asia. Did you feel like it was almost like a natural decision to go to Hong Kong? It was. I mean, while I applied for master degrees, I obviously also applied for jobs in Hong Kong. Like, I actually only applied for jobs in Hong Kong. (laughs) So I didn't even bother looking anywhere else. Do you know why your mum left Beijing to go to Hong Kong? So my mum and her brother were born in Beijing, but they moved away when she was, I think, around 10 because my, now that's when things get complicated. My grandpa, even though he is Chinese ethnicity, but he's fifth generation Chinese living in Indonesia. His family home is actually in Java. So he, at some point when he was young, moved to Beijing to study. And that's where he met my grandmother. The only issue with that is that you were seen as someone called Hua Tiao in China. So it's, yeah, there's a special label for those people who were Ch- Chinese but living abroad. The mainlanders looked down on them, right? Yeah, there was. it's a funny situation because on the one hand, all people looked down on them. On the other hand, my grandpa also was granted a flat from the government, so he didn't have to pay rent. Because I think they wanted to encourage these people to come back to China. But everyone else was not really, they were not seen as good people in other people's eyes. So what and and that meant for my mother that there were a lot of situations where she would get discriminated because people were saying, oh, she can't do this because her dad is a hua tiao. And my mom was actually really academic. She was doing really good in school. She was one of five from, I think, over 300 students selected to go to one, I don't know, super special academy. But then they said, oh, but she's a hua tiao. You can't send her there. That's when my grandmother, she was like, okay, this is not going to go, this is not going to end well for her. And that's when they decided they're going to move, the whole family going to move to Hong Kong. It was definitely a good decision. It was sad, but it was a good decision. And I think a lot of Chinese families are faced with that decision when they are in whatever situation and they don't feel like China can give them the opportunities that they want their children to have. Yeah, exactly. Going back to your journey to Hong Kong then. So did it take much then to feel assimilated into Hong Kong culture and society? Oh, I was home immediately. First of all, I knew the place. I I felt home here already ever since I was a a kid because I was really close with my grandmother. I mean, I would say grandparents. 
we had a really close relationship. So I loved coming here to see them. I love coming here for the city itself. This is the place where I knew I wouldn't have to explain myself because there were so many other mixed kids. There were so many international kids. There were even, not even to mention mixed kids. There were just people from a completely different background. Let's say Brazilian or Peruvians or God knows where um, living here. So the questions were a lot less. You weren't be looked at being so special and different. Even if people meant well, but it just at some point just gets annoying. Like, especially with globalization and everyone being so much more connected now, I think it's going to be more and more normal for there to be mixed kids. And like, all these people are going to grow up with all these like crazy stories. The question of like, where are you from is just going to get more and more complicated, right? I know. But at some point, I think it will also become more and more useless because everyone's international. Like, it's, it's going to be more and more, you will be more surrounded by people who have crazy backgrounds. So they may ask you, but they're not going to be like, oh, wow, this is so fascinating. So when did this happen? How did your parents meet? What did you actually go to Hong Kong to work as or work in? So BASF is one of the world's largest chemistry producer, also probably the oldest. It's a German company and they have quite a large office here in Hong Kong. And I was lucky enough to be offered a position in one of the business unit's marketing teams. That was a fun role. It was regional, so I got to travel a lot. I got to see the factory in Shanghai, which, when I say it like that, it doesn't sound very sexy. However, <laughs> it is a really cool thing to visit. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. What is the work culture like in Hong Kong? Did you find it difficult to get accustomed to it? or There are two ways to look at it. On the one hand, I don't have much patience, so I really enjoy the fast-paced life, work life in Hong Kong. Things happen really fast and no one actually has patience here they usually want things by yesterday which is fun which can also be a curse because you not only got so much to do every day but um, you're always doing quite a lot of ot especially working in these in this industry is that something that you're fine with when you're young you don't really mind especially if it's a job that you really enjoy i love my job that i Obviously, it wasn't cool to stay till 9 p.m., but that didn't happen a lot. But it's just what you did. And also, the I would say the life in Hong Kong, the nights are really short. The days are really long. So even though I finished work 7 or 8 p.m., we would then go out for dinner at 9 or 10 p.m. That was like such a normal thing to do. I haven't been there in years, but I remember it being just so different and vibrant and just truly the city that never sleeps it must be yeah. so awesome being like young a young professional working and living in hong kong meeting new people all the time having hot pot parties <laughs> yeah seriously it's it sounds cheesy but this city truly lives in the motto that is work hard play hard people work so much but they also party so much do you think you ever get sick of it Oh, I'm already done with it. <laughs> I'm over 30 now. I started really young in Germany. I started when I was 15 to go clubbing and partying. That after, I don't know, 12 years, I was like, okay, I think um, it's time to calm down a bit. Do you think that living in Hong Kong for eight years now, um, has that impacted on your personal relationship with your own Chinese heritage like do you think it's made it stronger yes I definitely think so the funny thing is in Hong Kong literally there's you can't really embarrass yourself because it's just a while it, it, there's chaos in the city when I then go back to European place and my husband is English so when we go to UK it's like oh no I have to really behave myself like a white person now 
I can't do certain things anymore. Uh, I I want to know what it is you want to do that you feel like you can't do. <laughs> I mean, it starts with really basic things like jaywalking in Hong Kong. It's like you jaywalk. That's what that that's a normal thing. There's no car, you walk. But I remember in Germany, I once did it because I totally forgot that you they're quite strict about it. And I got comments shouted like, "We've got children who may take after you, and it's going to be your fault." Oh, 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 oh! I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So you mentioned your partner is British. What's that been like? So is he quite familiar with Chinese customs as well, or did you have to kind of educate him along the way? Luckily, I didn't have to. I guess that's why also we're married. <laughs> so his dad has a factory in China that make bra cups. Funny enough, I think in fourth generation now with with my husband working there. So he's always been in Asia, and he also spent six. So he spent six months in Beijing. His twin brother spent, I think, almost two years there. So luckily, it was not a fully new introduction to Chinese culture. Do you think you guys will ever leave Hong Kong or leave Asia? Not for a while. First of all, for me, Hong Kong is home, and as long as my grandparent grandparents are alive,、um, I will not leave them. And then, second, for her, he also has production facilities here in China, right across the border. So it's both for me, it's family. For him, it's work that keeps us in Hong Kong. But then, thirdly, I think we both agree it's both our homes. So if we were to move somewhere else, let's say、uh, Bangkok, it would be for maybe a few years to set up a new factory, just to have fun, something like that. But then our base would always be Hong Kong. And have you guys talked about? If you guys are having kids, would you also bring them up in Hong Kong? I think so. I mean, if anything, just send them to boarding school in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> it's just difficult to find a place that is capable of replacing Hong Kong. It's the social, it's the pace, but then it's also the nature. Because while you may be doing your finance job in the area called Central, but twenty minutes later, with a taxi, you're out on the beach, and you can actually swim there. It's not. Yeah, I was just gonna ask what a beach is like in Hong Kong because Hong Kong is so urbanized. They're all clean. Literally, we're on the same the same island that you have. We have two CBDs actually、uh, on Hong Kong Island. In Central, it's literally called Central, and then an area it's further to the east. But then you just continue and you just go to the other side of the island, and then there's beautiful beaches, and you do swim there. Oh, and I haven't even mentioned boating. It's so much fun. Ah,、uh, yeah, because you sail as well, right? Yeah, so we sail. We're lucky to have friends and father-in-law who all own sailing boats. But then、oh, it's also very easy to charter a boat in Hong Kong. I'm not talking about some luxurious yacht. So we have those old traditional Chinese wooden boats are called junks. And every summer, the bays are dotted with junks with people、uh, hosting junk parties. So you fill the boat with, let's say, thirty people. You ha- usually have all you can drink, all you can eat package from one of the restaurants that deliver straight onto the boat, and you go out for the day. And nowadays, because there's so many companies offering that, they all compete with each other with having cooler、uh, water toys. You-, you can build a little pool in the ocean that's hanging off the boat. They have slides. They have this obstacle run stuff. Going back to what you were saying before about working hard and playing hard, I feel like you guys really know how to enjoy your time. Yeah, I gotta say, I think Hong Kong is one of the only places, probably on earth, where you can combine both. You can make a lot of money, but you can also spend a lot of money. Do you think it's quite similar to Singapore in that respect? Uh, yes and no. First of all, we're rivals, so we hate the comparison. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. 
Um, but Singapore's so boring compared to Hong Kong. First of all, they have a really high tax on alcohol, which makes it not very pleasant to go out for a beer because then you spend 15 US dollars on a beer. I remember actually spending $50 on a cocktail there. And yeah. it was the one and only drink I had. <laughs> and I've not heard of anyone doing boat trips, even though they're surrounded by sea, but I've not heard anyone doing boat trips there as much as we do. So if anyone who's listening is trying to decide whether to move to Hong Kong or Singapore... Such an easy decision. (laughs) (laughs) You've lived in Hong Kong for eight years, but you have spent basically all your life traveling to Hong Kong, visiting your grandparents and family and stuff. So have you noticed a big change in those years? Yes, you can definitely see a change. So back in the... We call it the good days. So basically, it sounds horrible, but... China's border was closed, so they, it's not. It wasn't easy for any mainland Chinese uh, resident or citizen to just come over and travel across across the border, whatever. It was only limited to those areas in China who were bordering to Hong Kong. However, so that's why when you went to amusement parks, the, the or the rides and even the shops, they were rather empty. So amusement parks, you maybe wait 15 minutes, and that was already peak season. So it was quite a luxury. But now, or let's say before the protests and the virus hit, um, it was a nightmare. We we wouldn't do certain things anymore just because we can't deal with the mainland uh, people anymore. There's so many. Now we would have to wait for 45 minutes. Some of the shopping areas have changed the shops just to uh, just for the for the mainland shoppers. They don't even care about what Hong Kong people want. It's all targeted to mainland people. So I have friends who work in in those. Uh, French high end brands in, in purchasing. And they said after the protest, they completely had to change the strategy of what to buy because now they buy for the local market. Before that, the previous few years, ever since uh, Hong Kong or China opened up for, for traveling to Hong Kong, they were buying things for the Chinese market. In our previous discussions, you also mentioned you can definitely feel the mainland Chinese influence creeping into Hong Kong, like there's less English around and more people speaking Mandarin. It's quite, I wouldn't say scary, it's unfair to say scary because Hong Kong is a part of China. However, Hong Kong native language is Cantonese and as you said, it's becoming more and more uh, Mandarin, which on the one hand, okay, I get it. But on the other hand, it changes a lot of things. It changes the way, pe- it changes people. It changes just the whole atmosphere is slightly changed. And then, for example, where my grandmother lives, there's a new, there's few new high-rise, they're all office towers. Some of them don't even have English labels anymore. The Whoever owns the right to put their name on, which whatever company, it's now fully Chinese. And that is just weird because looking out a window and then you see this massively red Chinese characters, it almost looks surreal. Do you think a lot has changed because of the protests over the recent years or do you think the changes had been coming in anyway before then? I would say the changes partially led to the protests happening just because a lot of mainlanders are now better educated than Hong Kong people, local Hong Kong people who don't attend international school. And people, young people aren't even able to speak English anymore, which is really bad, given that we used to be an English colony. So the frustration is, was already growing amongst Hong Kong youth because they were losing a lot of jobs to mainlanders who are just simply better qualified. 
They speak Mandarin, English, and possibly a little bit of Cantonese. What has it been like for you then, living in Hong Kong, especially in recent years? Have the protests affected your life much, or not so much? I guess it was more an eye opener that Hong Kong is becoming more and more Chinese and more part of Chinese, and also that human rights here, although we're still semi-Western style, that you can you would think you would get a fair trial if anything. However, seeing the police brutality and a lot of large corporations siding with China for the simple fact uh, that they have businesses in China or because they even got threatened by China, like Cathay Pacific actually got threatened by China. At first, they were neutral. They said their staff can protest or not protest. Um, that's none of the employer's uh, business. But after saying that, basically China grounded all Cathay Pacific airplanes in China and said, you won't get them back unless you change your statement. It's quite scary that they have the power to do that. It is. And to be fair to the companies, if you have such a high stake in China, you just got to do it. You just have to suck it up. And that's just uh, what definitely has the protest been pro proving that we are no longer independent. Do you think, though, that, I mean, the agreement was for 99 years, right? And then Hong Kong would be returned fully to China. Do you think... It was more like a matter of time that all this would happen. Yeah, for sure. Technically, the Chinese was supposed to wait until 2047 or 46, something like that, before they can do whatever they want with Hong Kong. But clearly, they don't care about the agreement they had with the UK back in the days. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Very clearly. And now with the implemented national security law, we're basically China. How did you feel when that law came into being it's scary because even i'm because i'm sometimes quite outspoken i mean i don't have a huge following account on instagram or whatever so it's more like amongst friends but even then sometimes you think huh maybe you shouldn't be too public about your opinion just because you just not you never know whatsapp is not yet controlled by china but for example when i use wechat to speak to friends we have to be really careful what we say do you worry at all about your future there At the moment, I don't. If you just play by the rules, you can still have a fairly good life. I had a friend, he's very outspoken, a friend living in Germany, he's very outspoken about political topics. And he's like, I don't understand how you can live in Hong Kong. Well, first of all, he's never been here. So he doesn't understand. I'm not just like being oppressed by the Chinese government. This is not what's happening. I mean, there's, there's enough people living in Saudi Arabia where women don't have many rights or in Dubai when if, you, if you're being caught having sex without being married, then you go to jail. I mean, there was, there was this case of the Swedish woman being jailed because she got raped. So I think Hong Kong is still not the worst place to be, even though Chinese government is playing their little games, power games. Often with third culture kids, which is what you are, which is what I am, which is what a lot of kids who grow up in a different culture to the one that their parents grew up with, there's a common feeling of feeling like you belong everywhere, but also you belong nowhere at the same time. Does that affect you at all? Yes and no. On the one hand, I'm really lucky to call Hong Kong my home. I'm kind of third culture. I've been third culture kid in many different places I lived. However, I guess because I grew up traveling, I was able to make home wherever I find friends, wherever I find comfort. And 
in this particular situation, I think Hong Kong is a quite fascinating place as in you don't even have to be Chinese to belong to Hong Kong. Hong Kong is really good in making people feeling at home here just because we're such a melting pot of different nationalities. How do you think you might instill that sense of belonging in your own children in the future? I almost wondered to what degree do you need this sense of belonging to a certain place? I almost wonder, it sounds super cheesy, but this term of world citizen, maybe in maybe the next generations, they don't have to be rooted somewhere to feel home. Maybe they'll be, they, they will find it even easier to be home where they have good friends. Yeah, it really depends on the definition of what home means for you, right? I mean, since we plan on staying in Hong Kong long term, I guess Hong Kong will be their base. On the other hand, I'm also still keen on teaching my children German traditions. Living in Hong Kong will be easy for them to learn English traditions, but I'm also very keen on teaching them what's German. So that if they do end up going to Germany, that nothing will be all of a sudden crazy new to them. And what about the language thing? Because you've got Chinese Mandarin, you've got German, you've got English. Oh, that's going to be such a mess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, how, I mean, I know like babies and children are like sponges and they'll pick up languages so quickly, but how are you going to manage that? (laughs) Yeah, that's going to be quite an interesting situation because what people say is that it's easy for kids to grow trilingual or bilingual. However, in order for them not to mix the languages, it's, it's rather, it's actually quite important that each person or relative or family sticks to one language. So for example, I would be speaking in German only, whereas my husband will be speaking English only, but then my mother or my grandmother will be speaking Mandarin only, which is going to be really funny when we go on play dates with international kids, but I have to speak German. If one thinks that third culture kids or international kids, are they going to be faring better in life? I totally think so. Our IQ is so much higher. We understand how it what it is like to be different, what it is to not be, to not fit in the crowd. So I think our overall understanding about Black Lives Matter, about gay rights, I think our understanding is so much more sensitive to it and much more understanding. And also like higher EQs as well, like you talked about IQ, but like emotional Sorry, I mean intelligence. <laughs> okay, so you meant EQ. Yeah, I meant EQ. I do feel like you. it's much easier for third culture kids to make friends, or even if you don't get uh, get along well, but at least for you to understand why the other person is the way they are. I mean, there's obviously going to be enough idiots out there who just really genuinely don't care. But I would say at least it gives you the benefits that if you do want to develop your EQ, you're so much better off understanding people or leading teams. because you're more tuned to cultural differences. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about everything that we've talked about. It's been super interesting getting to know your background and all of your experiences growing up and living in Hong Kong. Yeah, thanks for interviewing me. Thank you for listening to Not Your Token Minority. If you or someone you know are interested in sharing your story with me or just having a good old chat, then visit notyourtokenminority.com and fill in the form at the bottom. I really appreciate your support, so don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and follow on social media. Just search for Not Your Token Minority Podcast on Facebook and Instagram.